Three, two, one, we have ignition. Shabbat Shalom, everybody. My name is Noel Joshua Hadley. This is the Unexpected Cosmology. I'm gonna give you guys a few minutes to show up. Drink a little coffee here to stay awake. And um, starting out, uh, there's a few things I wanted to go over with you guys. First and foremost, of course, we are going through the Paleo-Hebrew or a Targum of the Paleo-Hebrew, obviously an English translation uh, from the Paleo. And we went over this last week. There'll be a few things I want to refresh with you guys this week. Good to see uh, all, all the old faces here, new faces, old faces. Great to see all of you. Now, let's see here. Oh, Pamela, Miss Pamela, Miss Pamela, this come this translation comes through her, and she has been feverishly at work to get the entire Torah made into uh, one translation. We will release that book within the next uh, nine months or year when she does finish it. And for those of you who have purchased a copy, now we're on the Sabbath, so I'm asking you guys, please do not purchase a copy. I'm not trying to make a sale on the Sabbath. We're just talking about the uh, how you can get your own copy. On my, there's a link under this video under Patreon in which you can go and believe it or not, Patreon has its own store. So there is a download on Patreon where you can go on there. You can get uh, Bereshith, uh, her Genesis translation. Now, uh, without a doubt, there's going to be, we are, one of the reasons I would recommend you do this, of course, you can follow along on the screen, but this also helps support Pamela for her efforts. I mean, no one's paying her to do this, right? She is doing, taking her time, devoting her life to doing this. And this is the one of the ways by getting a copy, you can help support her. Now, this is all part of the translation process. So inevitably, she is going to go back and make some changes to Genesis that, that's going to happen. I mean, it's all part of the translation process. As she learns more and comes into greater knowledge, the depth of knowledge, she's going to go back and make some edits. And in those instances, when we upload a new copy, anyone who has purchased a copy, you know, we'll, we'll make sure you get uh, the, the updated version. So there's no problems there. All right. Now, as I mentioned last week, oh, yeah, a fun surprise tonight. If I make it through, uh, of course, I'm, you know, this is kind of like an oral test for me. I don't have notes in front of me. I'm just talking to you guys. I got the microphone here. I got the video camera. I uh, just, you know, studied all this material and hopefully I passed the test for you guys. You know, I don't freeze like a deer in front of headlights. Uh, I was reviewing the the video from two weeks ago, like the first YouTube live. Now I've made, you know, hundreds of videos by this point and spoken to groups and stuff, but it was my first time on YouTube live and I hit the live and I'm like, like deer in front of headlights, like I'm live guys. So hopefully it came across a little bit better tonight. I hope you guys can, you know, consider making this a part of your tradition, uh, your, uh, your Sabbath tradition with your family to come over here, listen live. And that's the other thing I wanted to explain. I had gone through these directions so many times and I listened to you, the viewers and uh, people of this ministry. And when I started at seven o'clock Eastern time on a Friday, that made it impossible for most people on the West coast. I mean, most people work a job, you got to drive home, commuter traffic, get dinner. There's no way you're doing that. And so I decided to bump this up to nine o'clock. We're going to start nine o'clock Eastern every week. See how this goes. That gives people on the West coast, a fighting chance, get home by six o'clock so they can start this. And also, we just spent the last two hours in my Discord group having a community open uh, open 
discussion fellowship. It was a great time. And I just love sitting there listening. I, I jumped in on a few points and, and made some talk, uh, but mostly listened to you guys. So I encourage you guys to come over to discord. And uh, so next week we'll do this as well. Seven o'clock discord live, go in there, have a conversation, come over here afterwards and do our thing. Oh, and the surprise tonight, if I can get through this is we're of course talking about uh, Noah's flood. And what I wanted to do is, is read from the Colbrin about that version, the, the flood of Noah, according to the Colbrin. And it's, it's wild. It's, it's really, really interesting. So hopefully we'll get there tonight. But like I said before, I want to really focus on the paleo. I want to focus on Pamela's translation of the paleo and fight my temptations to want to go off and source all this other material. So, you know, last week uh, you were all very kind and, uh, you know, I, I was kind of showing, uh, talking about a lot of extra biblical scripture. And when I do that and I don't source the material, most people are like chapter and verse, sir. And I, I agree with that. If you guys know my work, I like to line up scripture and, you know, then uh, comment on it. I wasn't doing that. I was quoting from the paleo and then, you know, throwing other stuff out there. I'm going to do that again tonight too. So uh, you can take my word for it, or you can search it out for yourself and let's get right into this. I ended last week with, and this is probably part of last week's Torah portion, uh, but I wanted to go over this really quickly. The corruption of mankind in uh, Bereshith, uh, chapter 6. And this is what we read. But when corrupt men increased upon the surface of the earth, the Arats, and sons and daughters were born to them, then the sons of the Alahayam admired the daughters of men who were beautiful, and they took to themselves women from all they desired. Now, of course, when they are taking these women from all they desired, it, the, the, the idea is that they're taking something that they desire. They're, they're they're not asking permission, guys. Like they're, I'm assuming a lot of husbands are being killed off for them to do this. Consequently, Yahweh, the ever living, declared, My Ruach shall not call out to man forever, for he is sinful flesh, but they shall have 120 years. And then the Nathalim, the Nephilim, were upon the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of the Alahayam had intercourse with the daughters of men, and they bore them mighty men. Who were men of renown, a very long life, and Yahweh, the ever living, saw that the sin of. I have to remove your uh, comment there, crazy chicken poeros. People aren't going to be able to follow along. And Yahweh, the ever living, saw that the sin of Adam increased upon earth and it grieved his heart. Yahweh therefore said, I will sweep away Adam, whom I created from off the surface of the earth, from man to beast and reptile and birds of the skies. For I regret that I made them, but Nuk or Noah uh, found favor in the presence of Yahweh, the ever living. So, want to quickly go over this again, and this is a very controversial point. Uh, people, uh, some people are going to kick and scream at this, and, and, and maybe they're correct. Maybe uh, Pamela and I are wrong. Uh, I went over this last week, and I explained that we're seeing here. Let me just scroll up. We're going to see the the interplay in Genesis between Allah Hayam. And uh, right here we see Allah, let me underline this for you. Boom, there it is. It's all capitalization. And Pamela does this in order to emphasize the father. Okay, this is Allah, the father. So the sons of 
Elohim, sons of God, sons of Allah Hayam, they came down to the earth. But then we see his son, Yahweh, the ever-living. This is the son of the Most High, Allah Hayam. And this is the controversial point. I mean, you know, anybody who is within the scope of Christianity or any of the runoffs of it are going to agree there is a father and a son. But to state that the, the entity we know as Yahuwah or Yahweh, or some people know him as Jehovah, uh, that that actually is Yahushua HaMashiach, uh, or for you Greek fanboys out there, Jesus Christos. Uh, that causes some people to spin their heads. But for me, as I'm looking into this, it makes absolute perfect sense. And uh, that the, the individual who cut a covenant with Abraham, who... Uh, who, you know, spoke with Moshe and, and so on and so forth and brought forward the Father's commands is the very Mashiach who walked this earth and, uh, and died so that the covenant could be fulfilled. All right. Moving on, the history of Noah. There was something I was going to say. Oh, yeah, I wanted to say one more thing before we get too far into this. See, I need more coffee. Hold on, guys. Give me one second. That just charged me right there. This is what I remember wanting to say. I've been wanting to get Pamela to come on, you know, the 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 translator of this text. And what I'm hoping is now I don't know if I can get her on every week, maybe once in a while, once in a blue moon, you know, once a month. I don't really know. But I want to bring her on and maybe just have an interchange between her and myself. She's actually in the uh, the, the chat right now. You might see her, you know, making comments in there every so often and explain why she translated the way she did and so on and so forth. Uh, now she is finishing Sukkot. And uh, so this is our, she, she's actually on the, the full moon is the new moon. And I have to say, guys, I have not had a hard position on the calendar. I've taken a pretty soft position here as a ministry. And I'm still not sure on what calendar to go with. But um, I, I think this next year I'm going to commit to the full moon being the new moon. I, I, I think that that is a legitimate position to take. You guys may recall I brought Lisa on probably like two years ago now. It's been a long time, and she gave a whole presentation on why she believed the full moon was the new moon. And um, so, yeah. Anyways, she's finishing Sukkot, and when she finishes, I think maybe next week she might plan to come on. So, something to look forward to. All right, the following of the genealogies from Nuke. This is going to be hard. It's hard. It might be Nuch, but I, I'm just going to say Noah, so you guys know who I'm talking about. This is going to be hard with some of these uh, name changes, and I want to get them right. Uh, Noah was a good man. He was upright in his age. Noah walked with the Alahayam. And Noah had three sons given to him, Sham, Ham, and Yapeth. But the earth was corrupted in the presence of the Alahayam. And Ha'arat, or the earth, was full of crime. And Alahayam looked upon the earth, and behold, saw its corruption. For all men had corrupted their way upon the earth." When we get to, I might actually read this now. Um, I told you I was going to try to avoid a lot of extra biblical books, but I can only do it for so much. So this is really interesting because for those of you who are in the Book of Britain study, uh, you will recall when we read a couple chapters in there on Yehusha HaMashiach, and he talks about the end days. And as you know, that the end days is like the days of Noah. 
and the way he described it, you know, we all we have these um, all these different ideas as to what this corruption looks like. And uh, I don't want to step on any like Nephilim research or anything like that. But it, without getting too extreme in this, just from a very bare bones, you know, exoteric kind of view, the way he describes this, the days of Noah is exactly like the world today. I mean, just shockingly, just like the world today. So let's just read this real quick. I want to read you guys from a physical book here so you can't see it on the screen. Uh, a, um, a Roman soldier, he asks Yahushua, he says, tell me, good master, when shall the end be? And Yahushua answered, there will be an end to the beginning and men will know this by the spirit of the times. And the way what he's actually describing here is, I believe cyclical, cyclical, uh, like there's not just an end in, I mean, there was the end leading up to times of Noah. And then there's been other multiple ends throughout history where we see repeated themes and we're seeing it right now. We're getting ready for another huge societal collapse and a reset. And we don't, of course, know what is going to be on the other end at this point. And he says, men will no longer be as brothers, nor will they, nor will they be manly. So none of that toxic masculinity anymore. Women will be as men and men as women. Adultery will not be condemned, nor will fornication. Therefore, these will flourish. Men will not honor their homelands, and there will be no discrimination among them. And we see that, of course, uh, we'll be talking more about that tonight with the Tower of Babel. Don't want to get into that too much right now, but the idea that uh, there's mankind was given this inheritance all around the world by the different uh, genealogies. And, you know, there's when you, you, you don't respect that when you're just, you know, sending in these militant, uh, you know, foreigners, militant age foreigners from, you know, the Middle East and Africa and all these places, South America, all to these different uh, cities and stuff like that, the total invasion, right? So men will not honor their homelands, and there will be no discrimination among, among them, nor will they maintain the purity of their races. Fathers will not be honored, nor mothers respected, and children will be raised to be wayward. Perversions will be encouraged, and criminals will mock the law. I mean, we see this every day now, like on social media and, and such. There will be incest and rape, and it will be unsafe to walk around, definitely in the cities for sure. Uh, who wants to go to like Chicago right now? Floods, famines, droughts, and earthquakes will cause death and destruction. And uh, one of the things that I highlighted in my study in Bezora Kifa was that earthquakes are connected with angelic activity. And I would say even volcanoes and a lot of that kind of stuff too. I mean, tornadoes, all that kind of stuff. But the idea of when an earthquake happens is that there is... Uh, spiritual entities coming down to the earth, perhaps fighting with each other, whatever. And so as we see all these earthquakes happening, it's, it's, it's a dualistic approach to the material and the spiritual. It's an increase in the material, but it's also an increase in the spiritual for our souls, right? There will be, uh, let's see, uh, strange sicknesses will smite the people and there will be a denial of Elohim. Babes will be slain in the womb. Men will lust after the wives of other men, and marriage shall lose its meaning. Women will go to the marriage table unchaste and will deceit with deceit in their hearts. Their husbands, creatures of pity, will he hear the mocking voices of laughing men. 
Priests will defile their altars with their impurity, and the rulers will be held in little repute. And of course, the rulers today are held in little repute by basically everybody. Like you don't have to be woke or you know a truther or anything to like like people who are still holding their politicians in reputes. Uh, I don't know. Like I don't know what's wrong with them spiritually at this point. It is not Elohim who marks the end days, but men who live who live as though setting a pitfall for himself. So. Quick little thought there on the days of Noah and um, and how we can see very practically that we're in them again today. And one of the ways you can think about the whole world being corrupted is just the, the marriage, the union of Ruachoth, which we went over a little bit on Thursday night with the uh, Book of Wisdom. And just the fact that, you know, men and women, their roles have been interchanged and you can't even define what a man or a woman is at this point anymore. So Allah Hayam declared to Noah, I will wipe away men from my sight, for the earth is full of crime from their presence. I will accordingly sweep them from the earth. Make therefore yourself an ark of pitch pine. Fashion the ark with docks and pitch it inside and outside with pitch. You shall fashion it thus. It shall be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits deep. Fashion a ventilating window fixed in a turrets of a cubit above the upper deck. And connect uh, and connected with the with that make an opening in the side of the ark on the second and third lower decks. You shall make second and third decks, for I myself will bring a downrush of waters upon the earth to sweep off all beings possessing the breath of life from under Hashamayim, so under the heaven, all that move upon the land. Then I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall go into the ark yourself with your sons and your covenant woman and your sons' covenant women along with you. And from every animal of all kinds, two of each shall go into the ark to live with you. They shall be male and female. Of birds by the, their species and, and of animals by their species and of, rapt, of reptiles moving on the plain by their species, two of each shall accompany you so as to preserve life. And you shall take with you all kinds of food which is eaten and store it with you. And it shall be provisions for yourself and for them. Noah accordingly did all the Allah Hayim commanded him. He accomplished it. All right. So here, once again, we're going to see an interchange because we saw uh, Allah Hayim, the father, commanding Noah. But then we see the action on the earth from Yahweh. So afterwards, Yahuwaha, I'll scroll this down so you can read that. There you go. Afterwards, Yahuwaha said to Noah, Go yourself and all your household into the ark, for I have seen that you have been righteous in the face of this generation. Take with you all clean cattle, seven, male and female, and of the beasts which are unclean, two of them, a male and a female. Also from the birds of the sky, seven, seven male and female, so as to preserve a seed of life upon the face of the ground. And Noah did all that Yahuwah, all that Yahuwah the ever-living, instructed him. Noah was 600 years old when the downrush of water came upon the earth. I just watched a, um, I don't need to talk about that. It, 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 so it, I have actually, like, I don't argue with people. I have actually lost social media friends on this one. Because they are so against the idea of clean animals. Because, you know, 
all animals are clean, right? So by, by saying that there are unclean animals, then that's a problem for them, right? Because then they can't eat it. And I pointed out, they'd say that, you know, well, the, the clean animals just came from the Torah from Mount Sinai. And you, know, you guys all know, you point this out right here, and it clearly says uh, seven clean male and female, uh, indicating 14 total of that species of animal. And I was just watching a not a couple of months ago now, an Answers in Genesis video, they tried to address this issue and they they danced, like they skated around the entire issue. I couldn't believe, like watching the, the mental gymnastics, they were actually capable of doing it for all the normies out there. They were able to talk about this entire passage and never once lead the viewer to know or understand that there was a difference between clean and unclean animals. I couldn't believe how how shockingly uh, masterfully or masterfully they did it. Noah, Noah with his children and covenant woman and the woman women of his sons with them went accordingly into the ark from the face of the waters of the deluge. And, and Pamela, I love how she puts in here covenant women a lot. I, I just I love that. And we're going to see it with the the rainbow. I think she talks about the the women of Noah and his sons being covenant women again. And we're going to see that with the rainbow. That the ra rainbow is a sign of the covenant, right? So there, there's actually a, there's a connection between the man and the woman getting married, and the covenant with uh, Yahawaha with Adam and his children. Noah with his children and covenant woman and the women of his sons with them went accordingly into the ark from the face of the waters of the deluge with the clean cattle and with the unclean cattle and with the birds and all that crawls upon the field who came two by two to the ark, male and female, as Alahayim had directed Noah. When the seven days had passed, and again, like you're seeing here, like I'm sorry to keep pausing on you guys, but it, it, it's, it's the commands of the father, right? And who obeys the commands of the Father? Yahushua HaMashiach, right? He, does, he is the, our Messiah because he perfectly uh, embodied the commands and he, he followed them and told other people to follow him. And this is what we see. Allah Hain commands and Yahuwaha learns from the Father. He hears from the Father and he comes down and he does what the Father says to do. And he's you know, making sure that Noah is following the instructions. When the seven days had passed, uh, then the downrush of water came upon the earth. Now, this is kind of interesting that, you know, they don't really comment much on the seven days here. It's, it's, it, there's, Jasher is a, or Yasher is a very controversial book. And, you know, people will talk about the rabbinical elements in there, which is meaningless, meaningless to me. Um, and, you guys know my theory. I've talked about this a lot that Moshe is writing a book. He's stitching together a family quilt, right? He's telling, he's telling the, the Hebrews in the wilderness, this is your family. I'm showing you guys your descendants going all the way back to Adam. And there might've been, you know, other humans aside from Adam, but those they're not, that's not their, their forefather. It's Adam, right? We're leading all the way back. And he's sourcing material from books that 
existed. Like like I said last week, the the Hebrews weren't wandering through the wilderness. You know, they learned to read and go. I can't wait till somebody writes a book so that we can finally read a book. Oh, Moshe finally finished the Torah after you know all these years. You know, finally we can read a book. Like it didn't work like that. I think that they had tons of books they were carrying with them out of Mitzrayim when they sacked the place. They were reading all about world history. Um, it was probably drained from that point. I mean, they had world history as far as I'm concerned. And so, uh, so anyways, he's, he's like, he's mentioning little, little tidbits here and there that they would have known in other books. And of course, Jasher would have been written, uh, right around the time of, uh, right before Joshua, right? So kind of after the Torah, before Joshua. And you learn in there that the seven days, interestingly enough, is the morning for Methuselah. Methuselah dies and the floodwaters come seven days later. And so that those seven days, they're mourning for Methuselah, but it's also giving the world time to repent in those seven days. Really interesting how that worked. I think the, the movie, was it the Noah movie? They had... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they had Methuselah. Was it Anthony Hopkins that played Methuselah? I can't remember, but I think it might have been Anthony Hopkins. And it, you know, great Methuselah. And he he actually dies in the flood. You know, he like he puts his arms out like this and he closes his eyes to embrace the flood as it comes and takes him out. And uh, if only they could find a fossilized man like that, you know, just like arms out, eyes closed and be like, hey, it's Methuselah. But no, he was dead, buried in the ground and he would have gone to Sheol uh, before the, uh, he would have been carried by the angels to Sheol by the seventh day before the flood water hit. So when the seven days had passed, then the downrush of water came upon the earth. In the 600th year of the life of Noah, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the depths of the great ocean were heaved up, and the belts in the Hashamayim in the heavens were broken, and there was a downrush of water onto the earth. For 40 days and 40 nights. I probably don't have to explain this to you guys, but you know, you never know. I just throw this out there that you know that they're not talking about the clouds here, right? It's not the clouds that opened up that drowned the world. It's literally the waters from you have the the waters above the firmaments, right? They're opening up the windows and the firmament, it's coming down, and then you got the waters coming up from below us as well. At the close of that day, Noah, along with Sham, Ham, and Yapeth, sons of, of Noah, and the covenant women, or the covenant woman of Noah, and the three women of Noah's sons, along with them, entered the ark. They themselves and all the animals according to their species, and all the cattle according to their species, and all birds by their species, every winged fowl. There also came to Noah into the ark two by two from all creatures which, ha which have animal breath. Thus they came, male and female, of all creatures, as Allah Hayyam had directed them. And who shut the door? Yahweh shut him inside. And, uh, you know, this is one of those things that I've, I've heard even Trinitarians and others who, you know, they don't accept that uh, Yahweh or Yahuwah or Yahweh is what they would call Jesus or Jesus or, you know, Yeshua or whatever. It, it, they, they'll say that, you know, that Messiah is the one to go close the door, right? It, I've heard that in so many Bible studies. And yet right here it says, Yahweh was the one that shut them inside. So I actually agree with that point. And the uh, the son of Elohim who became Messiah, the anointed one, is the one that actually shut them in. 
That's a that's a really comforting thought, of course. The downrush continued 40 days upon the earth, and the water swelled and lifted up the ark and raised it from off the land. And the waters overwhelmed and rose greatly upon the earth, and the ark floated upon the surface of the waters. The waters overwhelmed the land and covered all the hills and mountains which are below the heavens. The waters covered the hills 15 cubits, and all the animals that moved upon the land expired with bird and cattle and wild animals, and every insect swarming upon the land, and every man, all which breathed the ruach of lives in its nostrils, with all that was in the dry land, died. I've been, you know, I've been really curious in this idea. I want to let, let everybody know so that nobody freaks out. You know, what is Noel going to throw at us, throw at us next? That I, I believe there was a worldwide flood. All right. I mean, every source that I can read every extra biblical source, they all say a worldwide flood. And, and in fact, the very idea, the very notion that you see a stories of a worldwide flood all across the world attests to the fact that it was not a local flood because if it was a local flood, you wouldn't have people all over the world from all nations uh, talking about their ancestor who survived this, right? So clearly this is a worldwide flood. And um, I say that because I... I've been really trying to understand how in the world people are coming to that conclusion that this is a local flood. I mean, it's very clear here that the the waters rose above the highest mountain. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Everything with the breath of life died. That's a, thus, he swept away the whole. Uh, oh, yeah. People will, people will point out a lot, you know, the giants before and, and afterwards. But I think that the, um, the problem is, is that we're taking the Enoch account of the watchers coming down and taking human wives and saying that was a one-time event. Uh, personally, I believe that when we're talking about like the Anunnaki, that the Anunnaki, it was actually the watchers event in Enoch was a repeated event. It wasn't a first-time event. The Anunnaki probably did the same thing before the last creation event, you know, ancient, ancient, ancient history. And so we would have been seeing the same thing happening again with, um, uh, after the flood. And for those of you who's ever seen like, you know, one of the original horror films like Rosemary's Baby, uh, they tell you that it still happens to this day, right? That there are still children being sired by uh, these satanic creatures. And I, I believe it. So um, in other words, is you don't have to have a local flood to, to describe the presence of these giants and Nephilim, you know, before and afterwards. And in fact, I would argue that I would say that when Noah, when Noah, when Moshe writes that, that he's actually telling you, he's actually telling you, he says, you know, they were before and afterwards. And you're like, well, how do you explain that? I think Mo Moshe is saying the event that brought them about beforehand, guess what, guys, it happened again afterwards. And we're going to see that again with uh, tonight with uh, with Ham and his father's nakedness and how it's a repeated event. Like as soon as the uh, as soon as the the reset happens, they get off the ark. Humanity starts all over again with the seed of uh, with Hasatan. Thus he swept away the hole that he had made upon the surface of the ground from man to cattle and reptile and birds of the skies. Thus he swept them from off the earth, but Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained. And the waters overwhelmed the earth 150 days. But Allah Hayyam remembered Noah and all the animals and all the cattle which were with him in the ark. Therefore, Allah Hayyam passed a ruach over the earth. And uh, 
I, I wish I would have asked Pamela about what she wrote here about a Ruach, you know, um, because, you know, I, I think a lot of translations would say the Ruach of Allah Hayam, but um, she put a Ruach here. So my understanding, according to this translation, is we don't know who this Ruach is. We don't know if this is the Ruach HaKadosh, the Ruach of Allah Hayam, or some other Ruach. And maybe she could throw it into the, uh, the, the comments in there if she has any insight on that. And then I could talk about it. the waters dried. And anyways, we, we see something very interesting, very similar happening to Genesis one when the, the, the Ruach is going over the waters. And then the, when the land comes up out of the waters, it's the, the picture of the land drying, right? So she's the, this Ruach is going over the waters. They are being dried. The earth is going to appear. So we see a repeated event of Genesis chapter one. And he restrained the outpourings from the deep. This would be Allah Hayam. He closed it up in the belts of heaven and stopped the torrents from the skies and stayed the waters from going on to the earth. And so the waters retired and diminished from the period of 150 days. Okay, Pamela, here, I'll, I'll post her uh, message here so you guys can all see it. She said, I put Ruach because I couldn't tell. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that, you know. She's trying to make this translation here as honestly as possible. And, and um, you know, sometimes you just, if you don't know, you don't want to make it up. The ark then rested on the 17th day of the seventh month upon the peaks of the high hills. And the waters were retreating and subsiding until the 10th month. In the 11th month, the tops of the hills appeared. Then at the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window, which he had made in the ark. And he sent out a raven, and it went, wandered, and turned about until the waters dried away from off the earth. Afterwards, he sent out a dove from him. Now, I want to talk about this, but I'm going to get through this whole section here. Afterwards, he sent out a dove from him to see if the waters had lessened from the surface of the field. But the dove found not a resting place for the sole of her foot. So she returned to him in the ark, for the waters were still on the whole surface of the earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her to him into the ark. He then waited seven days longer and again sent the dove from the ark. And the dove returning at dusk carried in her mouth an olive leaf which had been broken off. So Noah then knew that the waters were off the earth. Waiting yet another seven days, he sent the dove out again and it did not return to him. Now, this right here is one of the biggest, almost like mysterious passages in scripture, if you can believe that. And this has been, you know, questions have abounded in rabbinical Judaism, Christianity, through all the ancient uh, commentaries on what is going on here. And we, we see this contrast between these two birds, a raven and a dove. Some people have thought that the raven was evil, representing Hasatan, and then the dove, Ruach HaKadosh, not against that view. I think that's very likely. Um, but if you just look at this from a very practical approach okay the raven uh, is uh you know it's going to be uh more of a scavenger and it could have probably there could have been maybe still bloating corpses or flesh we really don't know uh you know it, it, it was without rest it's flying around it goes off somewhere we don't know what happens to it right well we see the dove coming back and when it brings back an olive branch that's really interesting because um the question is, is if there was a tree that it could pluck a branch from an olive tree off of, why did it not stay in that tree? Well, 
my understanding of doves is I could be wrong about this. I was looking this up in the study today. My understanding is, is that doves, uh, they nest, they fight, they build their nests off of twigs on the ground. And so even though there was an olive tree, the ground was still wet and muddied and there wouldn't have been twigs on it. So it was able to pull off an olive branch, bring it back. But finally, when, when Noah sent it the final time and it never returned, it's like, okay, the ground is good to go now because it was able to build a nest. Now, that being said, the question I have is why, how in the world is there an olive tree? There was one commenter, he was talking about this, and he's like, well, you know, the the waters, you know, they they went down to the treetop level and then down to the trees. I'm like, wait, what? Like a, a flood would take out. So you're saying that like there's whole forest just submerged under the ocean for like a year, and then they the water comes down and the trees are fine with all the salt water, the waves, the tides, everything didn't take them out. I'm like, that doesn't seem very realistic to me. In fact, I would think that, you know, when that dove, uh, if if trees were growing, they would have just been little blades of grass. And, and so the next question I have is, how in the world did he get an olive branch? Where is this olive branch coming from? Well, I will uh, throw my theory on this, uh, that these these trees this would have been almost this would have been almost like another recreation events we went through this last week and i showed you all that hardly anything there are hardly any creation words being used during the creation week what yahoo or allah hayam is doing is he's taking all these things in in his storehouse seeds and animals and things like that and he's filling the earth with them and that includes the stars the stars may have already been there and he just told them to he's like commands come forward and we see this each night right where the stars come forward and the two things he did create was the sun and the moon the trees he did not necessarily create well i present to you the same idea that we are seeing another we saw how it was done in genesis 1 and we're seeing it again so let me read to you a passage uh from the targum the Aramaic Targum that will help convey this. And so we haven't got into the point in here with the um, the planting of the vineyard, but that's okay. And Noah began to be a man working in the earth. And Noah began to be a righteous man, and he planted a vineyard. And he found a vine which the river had brought away from the Garden of Eden. So it came from paradise. And he planted it in a vineyard, and it flourished in a day. And its grapes became ripe, and he pressed them out. So this, these grapes, it doesn't say right here in the Targum, but you just search through your, your extra-biblical literature, and you come to learn that this grape, came, these grapes came from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It happened to be this tree that Hasatan uh, planted in the garden, and it comes down. No one knows this, but he is actually commanded to plant it, and it grows in one day. So... I'm thinking, I'm just putting this out here, that this olive tree, uh, same story. It would have, it could have very easily just grown in a day. And we could have just seen trees everywhere, just popping up everywhere. We're seeing a total like recreation. We see that the earth purified and, and then it's like fermented again and it's, it's ready to go. Brand new start. At the end of his 601st year, on the first day of the month, the waters dry from off the earth. Noah then loosened the hatches of the ark and, looking out, perceived that the surface of the ground was dry. 
And in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dry. Now, if you've ever looked at Ron Wyatt's discovery, I, I, his, his stuff is so like spot on. And, you know, I mean, the archaeological world probably are seething their teeth at the fact that he discovered Sinai. I mean, they're probably seething their teeth at this. And they, because you look at Ron Wyatt and they, he is just mocked to no end. You go to the other creation site, they will mock the guy. You know, they're like, that guy's not an archaeologist, whatever. But there are some really fascinating things about Noah's Ark, his discovery, which I want to talk about. I actually believe that it was a, um, a pilgrimage site during the Millennial Kingdom and that there's a lot of evidence, or there was, they scrubbed a lot of it. There was a lot of evidence for that that people knew where it was up until the kingdom came to a close and then nobody knew where it was again and it was rediscovered. But the interesting thing about the Ark discovery is that he talked about how he saw the anchors for like a couple miles back or something like that. They would drop them. They would pull them off. And you kind of see something here like he, uh, it says Noah then loosened the hatches of the Ark. And so they're loosening them and then, you know, it's, it's finally coming to its rest, right? And uh, I, I imagine it had to be I mean, it's moving, right? It's moving along down a current. It had to be a pretty bumpy um, uh, halt. I mean, they obviously weren't seat belted in, so there was probably some flying about in the uh, in the in the rooms. Allahayan then spoke to Noah, saying, "Go from the ark yourself, your covenant woman, and your sons, and your sons' women along with you. All the animals which are with you, of every kind, with bird and cattle, and with every reptile that creeps upon the earth." Bring it along with you and let them breed plentifully on the land and cover it and increase over the earth. What is the command? Every single time there is a reset event, it is to reproduce. Every single time. We saw that with, uh, with of course, uh, Adam and, and uh, his woman and the command to reproduce. We see it here. Uh, for those of you who have been following my Millennial Kingdom research, we see, you know, we see that all genealogies that we know today go back to the furthest, really, to where I would place the beginning of the Millennial Kingdom. So there was a wipeout event. Genealogies go back to that. They started reproducing again. And then after the mud flood in the early 1800s, really to the late 17 to early 1800s, we see another reproduction explosion. And it's like there was another big wipeout event in people in you know, we go from, you know, so many millions of people to billions of people within 200 years. That goes against, I mean, they, they show you like the charts of history, like that, you know, like people, the, the world has maintained at so many millions of people for hundreds of thousands of years. And then 1800 comes along and boom, you know, billions of people. It's like, no, I don't think so. But I, I would think something very similar would happen with leading up to the Tower of Babel as well. There could have been billions of people on the earth at that time as well. Who knows? And I'll, I'll get into a little bit of why I think that is. Allah Hayyam then spoke to Noah saying, go from the ark yourself. Your, oh, I read that. Okay. All the animals with you, which are with you of every kind, with bird and cattle, and with every reptile that creeps upon the earth, bring it along with you and let them breed plentifully on the land and cover it and increase over the earth. Okay. So Noah went out and his sons and his covenant woman and his sons' women with him, every animal, every bird, and every reptile creeping upon the land, according to the species, went out from the ark. Noah then built an altar to Yahweh, the ever-living, and took from every clean beast and from every clean bird and offered burnt offerings upon the altar. And Yahweh, the ever-living, perceived pleasant sweet perfume, and Yahweh said in his heart, 
Never again will I curse the ground for the labor of man, although the thoughts of his heart is wickedness from his youth. And never again will I cut off every animal I have made during the whole existence of Ha'aratz, sowing and harvest and winter and summer, spring and autumn and day and night shall continue. Right there, if you are ever concerned about uh, global climate chaos, uh, you know, whatever, whatever they're calling it now, uh, Yahweh, the ever living promises that there will be until the end, there will be winter and summer, spring and autumn. Now, depending on where you live in the world, you might have a very long winter or a very long summer, um, you know, <laughs> but nevertheless, the seasons will continue until the end. Allah Hayam also, he will barak, that means uh, to bless, I believe. Uh, good comments, Lisa. Uh, Lisa writes here, most people mock Ron White because he was a Seventh-day Adventist, and that is 100% legit. I mean, I, there was a, several months ago, I did a lot of research on Ron White. I'm just pouring through the old videos, you know, like they're like 15 years old and stuff like that. And every single time you have these Protestants going up there and they're like, I know Ron White was like in a cult. I'm like, what do you mean he was in a cult? And they're like, he was a, he was a Sabbath keeper, you know? And it's like, <laughs> so the big crime of Ron White in the world was that he was a Sabbath keeper. And, and guys, I actually think, I, I think that that was one of the reasons that uh, Yahweh actually blessed him. I think like, I think in this last reset with the mud flood and everything, uh, the, 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 uh, Yahushua HaMashiach wanted to reveal these things, and he's like, look, I'll just show anybody, anybody just is going to be loyal to me. Like, you got one guy out there, he's like, I'll keep your Sabbath. And he's like, all right, well, I'll let you discover all this stuff then. I really think that that's, you know, the very thing that everybody despises about him uh, is something that uh, is, anyways, that y'all honored him. You know, I thought the same thing, um, and uh, that Barack was lightning, and there, I, maybe Pamela can, okay, uh, here, I'll put her comment up here. Uh, Pamela says, Barack is lightning, Barack is Yah gifting to humans. So you're seeing the, uh, maybe it's just the spelling difference between the Q and the K, and she spells it Barack with a K, and I've seen that as well, you know, Barack lightning from the uh, from the East, right? And people have commented on Barack Obama, but, uh, anyways, there it is. So he will Barack Noah and his sons and said, be prolific and increase and fill the earth. And the fear and terror of you shall be upon every animal of the land and every winged fowl of the sky with all that swarm upon the ground and all the fish of the waters, they shall be delivered into your hand. Every rapidly moving aquatic animal shall be food for you. I have given the whole the whole to you like the green herbage, but the flesh with its life, its blood, you shall not eat. And also the blood of your life I will require from the hand of every animal I will require it. And from the hand of man, even from the hand of his brother, I will require the life of man. Now, let me just finish this. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man, his own blood shall be shed. Sorry, I'm reading the comments in here. Because I made man under the shadow of Allah Hayam, and be prolific yourselves, increase and swarm on the earth and multiply it. 
So, you know, a lot of people will point out that the the animals here, all of a sudden they have a fear of humans. I don't really know what to make of that, guys. I really don't. I don't know if they didn't have a fear beforehand and they do now. Uh, I I personally think they always did. But it is interesting that the, the command kind of changed or the instructions do kind of change here from what we saw with uh, Adam and Chua, that they they were not told to... They were told they were going to work the land and there would be thorns and thistles and that kind of stuff and the curse of childbirth and the pains and the, I should say not childbirth is not a curse but the pains of childbirth and here it, it kind of does change a little bit doesn't it and it is it is kind of interesting that the it is there's a connection between Noah he has just saved all these animals and now he's being told that he will have that they will fear him and that he will have dominion over them so kind of interesting connection. Alahayam also spoke to Noah and to his sons along with them, saying, Now I myself will fix a covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living animal that is with you, with bird and cattle, and with every animal of the earth with you, of all coming out of the ark, and with every wild beast of the earth, I have fixed my covenant with you, that all flesh shall never again be destroyed by a downrush of water, and there shall never again be a downrush to uh, desolate the earth." All right, so let's read about this real quick. Alahayam. Oh yeah, let me just say too, because here we see Alahayam speaking. So when we're we're talking about Yahuwah the Son versus Alahayam, and I was talking to Pamela about this just to get clarification as well. We're both in agreement on this. That a lot of people will contest this and say, well, uh, but the no man has heard the Father before, right? And so it's always it has to be. Yahusha, Yeshua, you know, speaking on, or on the behalf, even if they say it's Yahuwah, right? The, the Yahuwah is the father. That, but when uh, Yahusha, man, all these names, like Yeshua, Yahusha, <laughs> when Yahusha is speaking to the Yahudim, he says, you have never heard the father. I mean, he's coming out like, it's like, you guys are the sons of Satan here, right? Uh, but it doesn't mean that nobody has ever heard the father before. He's specifically saying that you have never heard the father to them. Um, though he does say to his disciples later on, and particularly in the Last Supper, that he says that, uh, I think it's at the Last Supper, he says that, you know, everything that he uh, says and does, he personally learned from the Father, Allah Hayam. And anyways, Allah Hayam also said, this is the evidence of the covenant which I have made between myself and you and between all animal life, which is with you for every generation. I place my rainbow in the clouds, and it shall be for evidence of the covenant between myself and the earth. When there is my cloud covering the earth, and the rainbow appears in the cloud, I shall remember my covenant that is between myself and you, and between all animal life. And there shall never again be a downrush of water to sweep away all living. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and appear as an age-enduring record of the covenant between Allah Hayam and all animal life existing upon the earth. And Allah Hayam repeated to Noah, this is the covenant which I have settled between myself and all existence, which is upon the earth. And just a you know quick note here that I read to you about the uh, what Yahusha said in the Book of Britain about the signs of the end time when society finally collapses. You know, this is the end. This is the the end of the era. And I believe this has happened multiple times through history, where men become women and women become men. Men are no longer masculine. Now it's, you know, toxic masculinity. Women are no longer women, right? And um, roles are reversed and confused. 
And the symbol of this movement, of course, is the rainbow. And so it's really, really interesting here for, uh, and I'm not the first to say this, this has been commented on many, many times, but I think the, the, the quote that I showed you tonight from Book of Britain, which uh, is claimed to come from Yehusha HaMashiach, brings so much more clarity to this. I mean, it's, it, he exactly describes what we are witnessing in the world around us today. And so he basically takes, they're basically taking the very reasons why he destroyed them and say, and then taking the rainbow, his covenant, and making that their symbol of their uh, of their rebellion that brought about their destruction before him. I mean, that's, you know, right? Well, you guys know this. This is how perverse this truly is. I want the rainbow back. I want to be able to, you know, dress my daughter in a rainbow or whatever, you know, rainbow colors, you know, and not be like, you know, LGBTQ plus alien uh, whole alphabet. I need another drink here of coffee. Now the sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Sham, or Shem, Ham, and Yapheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. It's really interesting that he points that out there. These were the sons. Of, so it's like he doesn't even tell you the story yet. He's telling the readers, the, the first-time audience, and they're like, oh, he's the father of Canaan. We know about Canaan. They were about to enter Canaan, right? So he's telling you, he, they, we don't know the story yet, but he's telling you this is the father right here. Watch out for this guy. These were the sons of Noah, and from these three, the whole earth was peopled. Now, I'm going to get a little controversial with you guys here right now. And I, again, you know, I always say I don't try to be controversial for the sake of it. It's just the way my mind thinks. I'm trying to find the book in here. I'm going to read from Jasher real quick. And we know in 1 Peter 3.20, now I, I would like to do a, a better study on the Greek in that. Um, I confess that I have not, but we know in 1 Peter 3.20, Kepha says that uh, uh, everything with the breath of life was destroyed except for eight souls. Now, there are some of you who are listening tonight, we've had this discussion before of, you know, what constitutes a soul, right? Well, I am of the opinion uh, that there were more than uh, Noah, his woman, his three sons, and his three women on the ark, um, and that there were more than them. And what... I'll return to this this verse right here after reading this. So this comes from Jasher. So Yasher. So it's very clearly that clear that the writer of this book believed that there were more than Noah and his wife and his three sons and daughters on the ark. Let's see if I can find it. Um, okay, here it is. And at the revolution of the year, when a full year was completed to Noah's dwelling in the ark. The waters were dried from off the earth, and Noah put off the covering of the ark. At that time, on the 27th day of the second month, the earth was dry, but Noah and his sons and those that were with him. So Noah and his sons and those that were with him did not go out from the ark until Yahuwah told them. And that day came that Yahuwah told them to go out, and they all went out from the ark, and they went and returned everyone to his way into his place. And then it says, and no one his sons dwelt in the land that Elohim had told them. So it, it gives you right there a contrast that these people left the ark and they all went their way back to their prospective land, whereas no one his sons stayed in a different place, right? So right there in Jasher, it, as far as I'm concerned, it couldn't be any more clear, there were more people on the ark. 
okay, so what's going on here? Why is it that Moshe is now saying that the whole earth was peopled from these three sons? Well, I think it's it's a similar uh, passage to uh, Allah Hayim saying that you have dominion over the animals now, right? It's like they they came on the ark, you saved them, you have dominion over them now. Not saying that they didn't beforehand, but we saw how it was it was different from the command with um, Adam and Chua. Well, my understanding is that uh, Noah and his three sons, they were basically, his three sons were given the whole portion of the earth. They were the kings of the earth. Sham, uh, Shem had his section. Ham had his section. We're going to go over that tonight. Uh, at least we'll see. You know, uh, the Book of Jubilees does a better job describing all the boundaries. Uh, Japheth basically goes up to like Europe and uh, the Ashkenazi. You know, the the whole like Germany, uh, Germany and uh, the Black Sea, and even into Turkey in there. And then uh, Ham had Africa. And then uh, uh, Shem had uh, out to Asia, if I'm not mistaken on that. I could be wrong, but I think that's – I don't have the scripture in front of me, but I think that's what they had. Um, and so what happened was is that Ham then went around usurping all the thrones. And if you recall my study on all of Ham's children, it's a YouTube video. It's a paper you can read. And I, I show from uh, the the book of the travels of Noah into Europe where it chronicles Noah doing this exact same thing, where he's setting up all of his three sons, their children, as kings over you know Italia and France and, and Africa and Asia and all that stuff. And then Ham, who is also Pan, the Pan man, uh, he's going around and he's you know he's 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 learned the the the, the mastery of magic. Uh, he's the one that you know passes it down to Nimrod. Uh, of course, he learns it from uh, he and Nimrod learned it from Cain, uh, the the. The, the Ruach of the Ruach of Cain. Long story short, all right, that's what I think is happening. So I think that all these other people on the ark, there were a, a group of people that were allowed to go on. They repented, they believed, whatever it was, but they were subservient to Noah and his three sons. Noah and his three sons were the patriarchs of all humanity, and through them would all be all people. So hopefully everyone understands that. Uh, let me read. This is where, if I have time tonight, I want to read from this entire chapter uh, from the book uh, in the Colbrin. And I will even bring up the words on the screen later if we do have the time. And I want to see here. Let's see. Oh, you know what? I'll just save that for later. But it's a great chapter, and we'll get through it. And it talks also about the, the very person who financed. Uh, Noah had a financer. Um, who actually Noah went and gave his proposition. He's like, look, the, the, the creator of all, he told me uh, to build this huge ark to save humanity. And this king said, okay, go down to the shore, to the ocean and build the ark and I'll, I'll supply you everything you need. And he's like, no, you don't understand. Uh, El, uh, Allah Haim, he told me to go up to the mountaintops and build it. And the people just start laughing. They're like, this, this dude's crazy, right? And they go out there and mock him. But the king still says, no, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to support you and supply you. And because of that, you know, he helped them with the timber. He helped them cut it down, that kind of stuff. Because of that, he and his uh, children were allowed to uh, go on to the ark. Really interesting story. So you can take that with a uh, salt shaker if you want, and we'll cover that later tonight. All right, Noah then became a farmer and planted a vineyard. And drinking of the wine, he became drunk and was naked in his tent. 
This is what we went over earlier, the, the vine, that came, uh, the grapes that came down from Eden. Uh, and by the way, I know that says that in the Aramaic Targum. This is one of those things where you, you will find the same thing in Christian literature as well. There are uh, books of Christian tradition and uh, rabbinical, or if you want to call it that, or Judeo-Christian, that all talk about this, this vineyard that came down from Eden that Satan planted. And I love it when you get both... Um, both traditions coming together and saying, yes, this is true. So he planted it, grew in a day. He gets drunk on it. He's naked. What's going to happen? Oh, boy, here we go. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and reported it to his two brothers outside. Now, we've been through this as a group. You guys know this by this point. I've been over this so many times. Uh, I am of the opinion, and I think I'm correct on this one. Well, many times I'll just, it's an opinion, but I think this is absolutely correct that the, if we want to use, if we want to use anything to uh, define what's happening, we use the Torah. Moshe basically, he, he gives you these innuendos that, you know, if you don't read the rest of the Torah, you're not going to understand what he's describing. His father's nakedness was uh, Noah's wife. Right. So basically Ham goes in there and sleeps with Noah's wife. I do not. And I say Noah's woman because I don't believe this was Ham's mother. Uh, it could have been his mother. And that's part of Nimrod magic uh, the, the, to actually sleep with your mother. That's the whole Semiramis storyline. It is possible that he is sleeping with his actual mother. Uh, but uh, Naomi, his Ham's mother, I don't believe she went on the ark. I think she died before the flood. And this is the mother of Shem and Yepeth. All right. So they are half brothers. So now he goes to his, his father is incapacitated. Uh, there's, uh, uh, it's actually, I think he, I actually think he may have been in a sleep paralysis at the time. And, and Ham kind of came in, in the room, kind of like a demonic type of creature in a way uh, in, I've quoted in other studies on this with Noah that he actually knew what was happening, but he was unable to move. And it actually describes like a sleep paralysis situation. And many people talk about sexual acts that happen under sleep paralysis. So he's able to go in there and now he's going to his brothers and being like, I'm the man. I, I'm, I, I've usurped your father, Noah. I'm in charge now, right? I'm going to, you know, and we see him going all over the earth doing this. So let's keep reading. Sham and Yapith, however, when they hear about this, you know, the ham's in control now, they take a shawl and they spread it over their shoulders and going backwards, they cover the nakedness of their father. And of course, the nakedness of their father is uh, their mother. And their faces were turned away. And of course, you know, I don't think they looked on their father's nakedness either. They, you know, they didn't look at either one of them. And their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's shame. So when Noah woke up from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him, keep in mind, he knows. He knows. How did he know what happened to him? I mean, maybe his sons reported it. Obviously, they would have, right? But it's we really don't know how he knows. It's not really expressed to us here. He said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants. Let him be to his brothers. Like, say what? So it says right here, even in Pamela's translation, uh, cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, let him be to his brothers. All right. Now you could say that this is Ham's other future sons, uh, but I think he's actually talking about 
the fact that Noah is looking at Canaan and because Canaan came through Shem and Japheth's mother, Canaan is now the brother of, uh, I can't even say all their names, Shem, Shem and Japheth. And in a way, Noah now has four sons. Because of this action, um, Noah never would have been able to sleep with his wife again. Um, he never would have had intercourse with her. I, I've, you know, the studies I've shown that when this happens, it's, he would have set her aside as a wife. He would have, uh, you know, I'm still taking care of her, but not in that same manner. Uh, but I also do believe that this probably could have happened years or decades later. We don't really know how far later. And that um, it is very possible that Noah and his wife actually had other sons and daughters. In fact, the travels of Noah to Europe says so. They said that before this happened and after the flood in between, they actually had other sons and daughters that were um, also given um, kind of subsections of the inheritance of the three patriarch uh, brothers. All right. He also exclaimed, Yahuwah, the living Allah, uh, that caught me off guard there, Allah, uh, Baruch, uh, Baruch Sham, or so bless Shem, and let Canaan be a servant to him. Right. So this goes further to say, you know, it's it's reemphasizing. He said, let him be a servant to his brothers. Let him be a servant to Shem, his brother, and let Canaan be a servant to him. Allahayam will extend Yapeth, but he will dwell in the tents of Shem. And Canaan shall be his serv serv uh, servant. So this is what I said earlier that, again, we have another reset event. Same thing happens all over again with uh, Hasatan. And, of course, you know, my theory, my belief, according to the writings of Abraham, other sources, that Ham is of the lineage of Cain. It makes perfect sense as to why Moshe is writing a putting to together a family fabric or quilt and showing both lines from Cain through Seth, and they come and converge back through Naomi and Methuselah with Limech and then um, and with Noah, and they converge. And I, I kind of suspect that, you know, I had to put a lot of thought into this about, well, because I had put all this research into serpent seed, and I'm like, well, how did this work? If the Millennial Kingdom physically happened. I'm sorry if some of you are tuning in because this does happen and people are like, what is he talking about the Millennial Kingdom happened? It's It's been like my research for like the last three years at this point um, that it physically happened and that we're being lied to about it. Uh, and I'm like, well, if the Millennial Kingdom happened, then how in the world do we have, you know, these serpent seed type of figures ruling the earth? What does this all mean? And I I just think that it happened again. You know, some people will mock that idea, but Moshe tells us that. He, he says the 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 um the Nephilim, I couldn't even say, I'm live, like I, I I blank out. The Nephilim were before the flood, they were wiped out, and then they came back after the flood. Well, how that happened? He doesn't need to tell us. He already told us it happened with the watchers. It happened again, and it happens again. It just it keeps repeating, it just keeps happening. And like I said, the Anunnaki, I believe that they're probably hundreds of thousands years old happened in the last time. And it just keeps happening again and again and again and again. Noah lived after the deluge for 350 years. So all the lifetime, um, I was just reading your comments there. Okay. 
So all the lifetime of Noah was 950 years when he died. All right. I need to get a move on this or else I'm not going to finish this tonight. Power reading time. Got, I got to get through all these names. I'm going to try the, hard, the best I can not to butcher this. Now these are the registers of the sons of Noah, Sham, Ham, and Yapeth, for they had sons born to them after the deluge. The sons of Yapeth, uh, Gomar, uh, Maguag, that's where we get Magog, and Madiah, and Yawan, and Tubal, Meshach, and Thuyaras, and the sons of Gomer, uh, Ashkenaz, this is where we get the Ashkenazi, uh, the Ashkenazi Jews, they are through the sons of Yapith, they are not through the sons of Shem, they are not Semitic. So when they call you anti-Semitic for pointing out the fact that they are not Semitic, you know, it's like you're supposed to take that as an insult, but it's like, well, it's yeah, kind of what I'm saying. I'm saying they're not Semitic. So, <laughs> and, <laughs> and the sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, and uh, Rehapath, uh, and uh, Thuga Ramaha. I'm so sorry, guys. And the sons of Yatwan. This is why it's good to have paper in front of you so you can follow along. But what is this guy saying? And the sons of Yatwan, Al Yashaha. And Thurashayash, uh, Kathuyam, and the Dadanuyam. From these, they spread themselves over the sea coasts of the countries of the nations, each with their language amongst Hagayuyam, the Gentile tribes. Okay, the, the Goim. All right. Now, notice here that it, it uh, says how they, uh, they spread themselves over the sea coast of the countries and nations, each with their language. And you're like, wait, what? I thought the languages weren't divided yet. And this is what the, the way Moshe writes. Like he he keeps reiterating and clarifying and he goes forwards and backwards. And so the uh I you know Pamela agrees too that the, the languages were not divided at this time. So this would have been after the I'm under the impression after the, the Tower of Babel incident, even though the Tower of Babel incident was a rebellion against all the nations that they inherited. So they inherited the nations, they went out, but then a group of them from all these nations came together to rebel against them. And the sons of Ham were Cush and Matsarim, uh, that would be Egypt, and Fawat and uh, Canaan. And the sons of Cush were Sabaa and Chawayalaha and Ra Amaha and Sabat Hukaah. I hope you guys are enjoying me uh, struggling in front of you guys to say all this. And the sons of Shabaah and Dadan. To Cush was born Namarad, that would be Nimrod. Wild beasts began then uh, to infest the earth. On that account, he became a powerful hunter in the presence of Yahuwaha. Therefore it is said, like Namarad, a mighty hunter before Yahuwaha. And the capitals of his kingdoms were Babel and Iraq and Akkad and Kalanuha in the bushland. From that land, he proceeded to uh, Asher and he built, that would be, I'm assuming Nineveh here, it's Nayunuyuaha, and I think that's Nineveh. And the town of the plains in Kalak and Rasan between Nineveh and Kalak, which is a large city. Uh, I also point out here, um, I, I could be completely wrong about this, um, but one of the problems with the book of Jasher that's pointed out is you guys know, I think that the timeline I go with is the LXX. I think that is the 
the most accurate timeline. It it adds a couple thousand years to history, which is a huge problem when you have books like the writings of Abraham and Jasher, which pits Abraham up against Nimrod when Nimrod should have been dead hundreds of years before Abraham was born. And you're like, what's going on? Uh, but I actually think that this mystery plays into the mysteries of um, Semiramis and Nimrod, the mysteries of Babylon, in which there was a succession of actually four Nimrods. Um, and I don't know if each one of them married Semiramis, um, but it appeared within two or three generations that that did happen. The original Nimrod would have been called Nimrod, the, uh, Nimroth the Giant, according to um, ancient historians. He was the one that built the tower. Nimrod the Giant would have been dead long before Abraham came along. Abraham would have encountered the third Nimrod, not the second one. He encountered the third. And then the fourth Nimrod would have been the one that uh, uh, Esau uh, went up against. All right. So take that with a grain of salt. I have a research paper on that. I recommend you check it out or watch the video to see if I'm correct. I mean, I'm not making that up and pulling it from old sources and they were dealing with the same thing. And they were actually looking at this Jewish literature as well. And they were like, yeah, this is true. Abraham really did go up against Nimrod, but Nimrod was dead. So, um, and this is where you have, you know, the origins of sun worship and fire, right? The, the sun is the father, the avatar, the moving on generation to generation, the way they were doing that was through the mother. The mother would sleep with her son and they would become husband and wife. And then he, they would have a son, rinse and repeat. It's disgusting and gross, but uh, it's all a part of the Nimrod magic of uh, doing that. And that's why I suggested that perhaps Ham did maybe sleep with his actual physical mother. All right. Uh, Gotta love these family discussions. It's, it's Sabbath. You don't hear this in church groups. Uh, the Matsurim also produce the uh, La Wadayam and the Anu Mayam. So these are the Egyptians producing these people, and the Lahabayam and the Nafathukayam. And uh, <laughs> can I just skip all this? And Fathu Rasayam and the Kasalak. Uh, from whom sprung the, uh, those are the Philistines and the uh, Kapathurayam. And to Canaan was born Sidon, his eldest, and Hath or Chath, and Yabawasaya, and the Amariya, and the Gargashaya, and the Chawaya, and the Araquaya, and the Sayanuya. This is going to be a fun year, guys. And the Chamathuya, and each spread themselves as the tribes of the Kanu Ainuya. And the boundaries of the, uh, these are the, I guess the Canaanites, right, are from Zaden by the valley of Gararaha to Izaha along the valley of Sadamaha. Uh, that would be the valley of Sodom. And Amora would be Gomorrah. So, and why, why is, you know, uh, Moshe? So interested in the boundaries here, right? This is what they're going to come in and, and, and take. And the boundaries of, okay, so from uh, Sodom, Gomorrah, and uh, Adamaha, and Zabayam, and Lashay, these are the sons of Ham and their tribes and languages and the regions of the heathen, of the Goim. So you don't want to be a Goim. You don't want to be a Gentile. Those are the heathens. When I see, you know, Christians boast about how they're a Gentile, it's like that's, you might as well just say you're a pagan. I mean, you know. And Sham, the elder brother of Yapeth, also produced. That's a good thing. He, he had some children. 
He was uh, occupied. He was the father of all the sons of Abar. The sons of Shem were um, Ilam and Asher and Arpachshad and Leud and Aram. And the sons of Aram, Ayutz and Shaul and Gather and Mash. And to Arapachshad um, was born Shalak. And to Shalak was born Abar. And to Abar were born two sons. The name of the first was uh, Phalag. That would be Peleg. Uh, Peleg. Because in his days, the continent was split up. Now, I asked Pamela about that because, you know, what her opinion is. I can't remember what she actually said. It, it seems to be like you can translate it either way. Um, I'm of the opinion that we're, we're, we're not actually seeing an actual Pangea being broken up, uh, the continents drifting. Um, I mean, I don't really see a need for that because the flood would have already done that. It would have just devastated and destroyed and changed everything. Um, even though I won't get into the moon map for you guys tonight. That's just a whole different um, a diversion. But um, I see it as when and it was in his days that the, uh, the land was split up between all the sons of Noah. All right. That, that's the way I take it. And it makes the most contextual sense. In this chapter, it seems like a really weird little phrase that that goes completely against what they're actually talking about, the the, the land of uh, boundaries, uh, borders. Um, but it seems like it could be translated to be the land was split up. So, you know, for those of you who are holding out on that, there you go. And his brother's name was Yakutan, and to Yakutan was born Alama Yuadad and Shalaf, and uh, Chatsa Ramawath, and Yarak, and Heda Yuram, and Auzal, and Dakulaha, and Ayubal. I bet these people all spoke like in their throat. Like it was, you know, like they would say this and it would sound threatening, like really badass, you know. And Abayamal, and Shaba'a, and Awafar, and Chawayalaha and Yawabab, and these were sons of Yakutan, and they populated from Masasha'a by the valley of Safraha, a mountain of the east. These are the sons of Sham by their tribes and by their languages and their countries among the Goim, the heathen. The above were the families of the sons of Nook, Noah, and their descendants by tribes. From them they spread themselves amongst the nations of the earth after the flood. All the country was agreed for settled objects, but some of them marching from the east arrived at a plain in the bushland and halted there. Now, okay, let me finish this. Then each said to his neighbor, come, let us set to work making bricks and see that they are properly burnt and bricks shall serve us for stone and petroleum for mortar. So they agreed, we will build here for ourselves a city and a tower whose head shall reach unto heaven. Thus, we will make a beacon for ourselves so that we may not be scattered over the surface of the country. All right. So here we see the original um, Tower of Babel Rebellion. And I remember when I was really into like end times prophecy 20 years ago, and I started discovering the the uh, the EU headquarters in, I think it's in Brussels, and they they made it look like a reconstruction of the famous painting of the Tower of Babel to be very brazen. I mean, it's so obviously brazen that they are saying we are repeating what they did and that Elohim cannot stop us. Well, we are actually seeing the fruition of that to this day. For those of you who just follow some of these, you know, news videos out there on social media about 
all these militant age 20 to 30, 40 year old men with no women are coming off in boatloads by the hundreds and thousands and invading whole towns and in Europe. And it's obviously a complete plan to uh, mix up the nationalities. Let me actually read this. So you guys saw that, you know, society collapses when, uh, when the family falls apart and men and women lose their respective roles. Here's another quote. This one is again from the book of Britain. And it talks about, um, oh man, now I don't know where this is. Uh, oh man, I'm going to have to find this later. Oh, I can't stand when that happened. Okay. Well, this talks about um, that the, what to be, oh, man, it was such a good quote too. Unbelievable. Okay. Okay. Well, here it is. If there is anything more powerful than fate, it is the courage that bears whatever fate decrees unshaken. The dispensations of life favor the courageous man. Within the wider world, responsible procreation and selectivity play a spiritualizing role, while on another level, they preserve the diverse racial and cultural heritages. Racial pride is a positive quality which has nothing to do with racial prejudice. Just It means that just because you have pride or you could, um, you could substitute pride with chivalry um, and or, or recognizing the goodness in something, that just because you recognize the goodness of your culture and your people and your race does not make you a racist, all right? And it's almost like it's flipped today that like you you have to have, you know, as you guys know, like white guilt, right? You know, if you're a heterosexual white male, you're just you might as well just jump off the next bridge that you come to, right? And uh anyways, pride without prejudice should be the watchword. Um it actually goes on, but I really like this where okay, when the uh let's see. Yeah, they go on and on talking about this, but the idea is is that many societies actually collapse when you start destroying your heritage, your history, and so on and so forth, and you start bringing in all these other people who don't speak the same language. And there's something very important about a nation having a distinct language and that this was set up guys by yacht like we can we can argue against this and say this isn't good but it's like no no like this was set up by by Allah Hayim. actually Yahuwah actually we'll see here he set this up so that he's like okay this didn't work I gave you guys these these borders in the Torah we read that you do not move the boundary marker of your neighbor right that's what they were doing it was mostly as we see here it was the sons of Ham I mean Nimrod is the son of Ham they're coming in they're moving the boundary marker say we want this for ourselves and Yahuwah is like, okay, this isn't working, so I'm going to give you guys your own language. And that will keep you to your own um, borders. We see that today they are challenging that. It's still not working. They're bringing in all these people, spilling them into all these different cultures. They can't speak the same language. They're you know destroying the heritage, and they're bringing down free society. It's it's brilliance from a you know Trojan horse perspective, and we see it happening before our very eyes. Anyways, what do they say here? Uh, okay. Uh, but Yahuwah, so uh, he's the one taking action. We see uh, Allah Hayim making a lot of decrees and commands, but he's the one that comes down and does it, right? Yeah. But Yahuwah came down to inspect the city. 
Isn't that interesting? It actually says that he came down and he inspected the city. What does that look like? Was he in the clouds? Was he moving amongst the ranks? Was it like an angel? What did this look like? Did he look like Yahushua Mashiach just walking through the streets? He's coming down to inspect the city, and we'll see this later with Solomon Gomorrah. And the tower which the sons of men had built. And Yahuwah has said, you see all these people are united in the same purpose. I'm, I'm guessing he's speaking to the divine council now. He is personally, he's come down inspecting, he's personally giving his report to the council and maybe even Allah Hayam. You see all these people are united in the same purpose, having to uh, all one, having to all one lip, and having begun to do this, they will not be restrained from anything they determined upon. So to answer your question, if you think they did have different languages, he says right here, they all had one lip, all one language. I will go down and frustrate their design so that one will not listen to another's proposals. So Yahweh has scattered them over the surface of the whole country, and they abandoned the building of the city. They therefore called its name Babel, Confusion. Because it was there that this chief confused the designs of all the country. And it's interesting, you know, the, the, the root of Babel, Babylon is confusion. And then, of course, the mysteries of Babylon. And it basically, I would say the same thing, that it actually confused the mysteries of heaven, right? Thus, from there, Yahuwah scattered them over all the surface of the land. All right, reading on the history of Sham's uh, descendants. These are the genealogies of Shem. Shem was 100 years old when Arpekshad was born to him two years after the Deleuze. Shem then lived after the birth of Arpekshad 500 years and had sons and daughters born to him. And Arpekshad lived 35 years and then had Shalak born to him. And Arpekshad lived after the birth of Shalak 443 years and sons and daughters were born to him. And Shalak lived 30 years when Abar, oh, got some lightning hitting outside. Shalak lived 30 years when Abar was born to him, and after the birth of Abar, Shalak lived 403 years, and sons and daughters were born to him. And Abar lived 34 years when uh, Philag was born to him, or, or Peleg. Abar lived after the birth of Peleg 430 years, and sons and daughters were born to him. And Peleg lived 30 years, and Ra-Ayua um, was born to him. Uh, Philag or Peleg lived after the birth of Ra'ah uh, 209 years, and sons and daughters were born to him. And Ra'ah uh, lived 32 years when uh, Shurug or Shurag was born to him. And after the birth of Shurag, Ra'ah uh, lived 207 years, and sons and daughters were born to him. And Shurag uh, lived 30 years, and uh, Nuka Yuar was born to him. Shara Yuar uh, lived after the birth of Nuka. Nuka Nukuar, 200 years, and sons and daughters were born to him. And he lived 29 years when Thurok was born to him. And Nuka Yuar lived after the birth of Thurok, 119 years, and sons and daughters were born to him. And Thurok lived 70 years when Avram, um, Nukuar, and Haran were born to him. All right. So I think we're going to end there because this will begin next uh, Torah portion, and I'm sorry that I butchered so many of those names, but here's what I want to do now. I purposely ended a little bit early. I got through it right where, when I wanted to because I want to read for you guys the, um, the another flood passage, and I think you guys are going to really enjoy this. This comes from a different perspective, uh, so I'm going to have to stop my screen share here. It's going to go a little, you still see my pretty picture on here. And let's see if I could find it. 
Give me a standby here a moment. Uh, it's going to give me trouble. I knew it. I knew it's going to give me trouble. It's not going to find it. Okay, here it is. Boom. Boom. There it is. All right. This comes from the Book of Gleanings. Now, this is uh, a book that I'm also working on editing right now. So you can see it's not finished, but this is the pretty cover, the Book of Gleanings. It looks very Lord of the Ring-ish, kind of what I was going for. We just jumped straight into chapter four here. This whole chapter is on the deluge. Now, if you guys want to know, uh, this comes from Colbrin, uh, and uh, the Book of Gleanings means that you know they are gathering information from multiple sources. All right, and the people writing this book come from Mitrim, from Egypt, and they claim to be uh, followers of the Most High uh, Father in Heaven, Allah Ha'am. They say that uh, his name is not known which is really interesting but they also um agree that the uh, the the creator um elohim is actually the elohim of the hebrew slaves really interesting stuff and we come to learn that these same individuals they go on to move to britain and that's where we pick up with the druids and the teachings of uh yosef of rama of arimathea and we've been going over those in book of britain and book of wisdom so this is book of gleanings and this whole chapter is on the deluge this is their perspective on it so i'm going to read through this hope you guys enjoy it it is written in the great book of the firehawks so there right there is a book they are referencing that we do not have that earth was destroyed twice, once altogether by fire and once partially by water. The destruction by water was the lesser destruction and came about in this manner. Now, a quick rehearsal here. They, um, by this time, they actually talk. Before this deluge, there is another world flood. It's actually, it destroys much of the world, but not all of it. This actually lines up with Jasher. Jasher says that there was a flood that destroyed the world because of the, uh, to punish the idolatry when people started to worship the image of the word of Elohim, Yusha HaMashiach. They started making idols of him. And um, a third of the earth was wiped out because of this, because they were unrepentant. Well, at the time of this flood, if I had time, I would go over this too. They actually talk about the same place where they built the Tower of Babel, uh, they actually they um, they built a portal up on top of it. They were hoping to invade heaven, and this was before the flood. So when Nimrod's doing it, he's taking Antiquitech from before the flood, and he's replicating it. He's learned through you know Cain and through some of the I guess you could say ascended masters, whoever. And he's a master mason, and he's actually replicating it. So really interesting th stuff that's happening. So you could see the see, you could say the same thing with the last reset event. Now we have CERN, right? CERN seems to be doing something very similar to what they were doing with the Tower of Babel, and they're, you know, trying to pierce through the dimensions into the spiritual realm and and probably conquer heaven all over again. All right, the people of those times, uh, uh, I guess, spooned all spiritual things. Uh, it should say spurned. I'm sorry. Uh, the, the R and the N became an N there. But the people of those times spurned all spiritual things. As you can see, I'm still having to edit this book. And men lived only for pleasure, caring little for the good of mankind or the future of the people. Lewdness and lies were upon the tongues of all men, and brother could not deal justly with brother. The princes and governors were corrupt, and proper tribute was not paid. 
The statues were held up to scorn. The lives of men were led by their desires, and they spent their days in gluttony, drunkenness, fornication, dancing, and singing to instruments and music. Kind of interesting that um, the statues were held up to scorn. I just saw that for the, I, for the first time. I Somehow I, I missed that before because I'm actually going, hopefully presenting soon on this idea of uh, how statues are used to usurp governments. And it, they're just set up that way. And we see that happening right now with like the Confederate statue, you know, all the, the white supremacists, uh, patriarchal uh, statues that are coming down by Black Lives Matter and so on and so forth. So it's interesting here that they talk about the statues were held up to scorn. That's really interesting. I mean, I, I don't like walk past statues and go just like, oh, just I, I feel scorn that, you know, that's that statue, you know. The land was unattended, for men dissipated their strength in unproductive lust and pleasures. Women lacked shame, for many would cast their glances after one man. Men fought amongst themselves and even slew one another because of their lust for worthless women. While the chaste women were not sought. Sounds a lot like today. Basically, they're saying that the, the hussies and the whores basically. <laughs> that the slutty women get, you know, more men and the chase women, you know, the, 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 the prize bowls don't want to chase women. They were even rejected for men declined the effort of being worthy of them in the eyes of their fathers. Wives were, wives were unhonored and only the women of pleasure commanded the attentions of men. I mean, that sounds a lot like modern feminism right there where, you know, to be an actual wife you know to to be a wife to a husband that has your role in the house that you are scorned by many other women in society i hear that from many women who choose to be a stay-at-home mom or whatever women were unclean and immodest and may, men lay with them shamelessly in the presence of one another if you ever read the uh, the book of uh Tubal-Cain, which i did cover i don't know if that book is a hoax or not if it is original uh, but it, it talked about the same thing that uh, that men would try to sleep with women during their menstrual period, uh, their time, and probably a lot of sex magic uh, attributed to that, you know, with all the blood and so on and so forth. Old women were more lustful than the young ones, which I actually, actually can believe uh, if they're, we're talking that they're living hundreds of years old. And Yehusha HaMashiach talked about that in the books of the Nazarim as to why Mankind does not live to be old anymore because he just you he's like you just get wickeder and wickeder with age and that makes total sense and even you know it's um I'll tell you guys this um I uh, I used to when I lived in Southern California I used to live right next to a community called Leisure World and uh, it's it's like a suburban neighborhood all walled in and you have to be fifty five or older and I'm telling you that like. I spent a lot of time there because I had multiple grandparents who lived there. Then my parents moved there and stuff like that. And, you know, the women, they become pretty wild out there. Um, they have the, quite the reputation, much more than like 20-year-old girls. Old women were more lustful than the young ones, while virgins were seduced and corrupted in their childhood. Fathers fornicated before their sons and were admired for their prowess. prowess. And that the same Colburn would tell you this would be very the identity of a very weak individual. They made no distinction between their sons and other men or between their wives and other women. 
And that's obviously complete against Torah. Deceits and violence were seen on every hand. To the east and north were high mountains upon which dwelt a tribe called the Sons of Nazira. Now, this tribe is very interesting. Um, I don't know if these are the Sons of Cain. Um, I don't think they are. These may be the Watchers. It may be confused. I don't really know. We know that the watchers came down on Mount Hermon. They came down on a mountain, and, and Enoch is very, uh, you know, insistent that they came on a mountain. And the very fact that they would be on a mountain is a sign of the gods of the Elohim, because the gods resided on the mountains. And so, even here in this ancient literature, the fact that they would be talking about these the sons of Nazira, these may be the sons of Elohim of Alahayam, we see in Genesis. The fact that they're in the high mountains tell us that they could be of a divine race, all right? They're called the men of the mountains who were hardy men and mighty hunters, where we read that tonight, right? Nimrod was a mighty hunter, skillful in the chase and valiant in battle. So these are, these are the mighty men of old. The men were upright. Their wives were faithful and their sons noble. In their heart were no unworthy thoughts, no envy or hate, no malice or deceitfulness. They did not smile before a man's face, uttering smooth words. Then when he turned his back, reach out to stab him. Um, but we'll see where this goes, because I, I thought these were the, we'll see. Let's just read this through. In their wives and daughters, there were, was no impure longing, and neither cursing nor lying was heard among them. The women folk respected their men and maintained decency and decorum. I don't know, maybe this is talking about the sons of Seth, all right? Yet they were men with men's ways, abhorring all forms of unmanliness and degeneracy. Therefore, the treasures in the cities of the plains and the weakness of the people to whom they, these belong did not go unnoticed by the sons of Nazirah. So they said to themselves, this is exactly what the watchers say, let us go down and... Uh, let us go down. Well, it's not exactly what the watchers, but it's pretty close. Let us go down and do a good deed among these people. Let us show them the ways of men who are strong, making them slaves and possessing ourselves of their goods. So they're coming down to, in Enoch terms, they're coming down to do good things. According to them, show the mysteries of heaven to teach mankind. They're there to help them, but they want to rule over them and they want to take whatever they can. We see the same thing happening here with these very mysterious sons of Nazira. This talk continued, continued among the men in the marketplaces and gatherings until they were stirred up to the deeds, and they gathered together a war band of fighting men. The mountain men chose leaders from among themselves after their custom and prepared to fall upon the soft living people of the plains and become their masters. And, you know, the we know like the sons of Cain were camped around all the plains. And I've I've speculated that if if modern Israel is historical Yasharil. I know probably half of my viewers would disagree with me on that. I think that there's good reason to think it is. I've talked about how, you know, that the, the mountain range where the sons of Seth would be, would be uh, all the way north of Jerusalem, all the way down to Hebron. It's a huge, long mountain range that the plains surround it. And so you could see a total picture of the sons of Cain all surrounding there with their camps and their lights and their circuses and their coliseums and all that kind of stuff. When the chiefs of the mountain men saw what was happening, they became wroth and ordered their men to return to their flocks and pastures. The chief of chiefs stood up before the gathered war band and said, It is our decree that this thing shall not be done. You must not go down from these mountains, bringing the sword to these people. Leave them alone, as rotted fruit is left on the tree to wither and die. 
leave them to follow their own ways a little longer, and in the fullness of time they will destroy themselves. Make no widows among your own people. If you go down there carrying fire and sword, you may find a trap laid for you among the flesh pots. The attraction of their pleasure and the temptations of their luxury are to strong men such as you, like the lure the flame has for the moth. Do not lay yourselves open to destruction, even though the manner of its accomplishment be pleasant. If you must destroy this people, then destroy it utterly so nothing remains. They are many while we are few. And though by the keen, hard-knitting sword we may prevail in battle, yet might we not be lost under a deluge of soft feathers? Will you be wise enough to sup on milk and honey without being drowned in it? For a time, the fighting men heeded the words of their chiefs, for they were neither willful nor reckless. But there was some men among them who went down to the plains in peace. They returned with tales of treasures and pleasures awaiting below, reporting that the time was ripe for an attack, the war men hired by the lowlanders having departed. For in those days, the gods of Sharapik strove against the gods of uh, Elishtur and Ledek. Then the fighting men disregarded the commands of their chiefs and choosing war captains from among themselves went down and fell upon the people of the plain. The people of the plain bowed before the strength of the men of the mountains. They did not fight for among all their possessions. They regarded their lives as the most valuable thing, precious above all else. Now, if, if you need caught up on what's happening, if I am correct that this is describing the same event as the Watchers event, which leads up to the flood, we have this idea in, you know, sometimes, you know, things in the Bible may just say something as a matter of fact, you know, the watchers came down and did this. And so we think it was maybe immediate. But what if there is an air of truth to this and we're seeing that it's progressive? The We see that the these mountain, these men from the high mountains are coming down. They're repulsed by humanity. They see there's many things among the, the treasures they want for themselves. They're speaking to the kings and the kings are like, no, 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 no. You know, I know these are an effeminate people, you know, but like, just let them be. And, you know, but it seems like they're kind of showing them things or teaching them things. You guys see how this is working out, right? It's it's over an extended period of time. It didn't just happen like overnight. Like it wasn't like the, the UFO, the mothership came down and, you know, all hell broke loose right away. The people of the plain bowed before the strength of the men of the mountains. They did not fight for among all their possessions. They regarded their lives as the most valuable thing, precious above all else. This is like the greatest insult that the Colburn could write to say that your life is, you know, that you're not going to fight because your life is so precious that your family is not. Like at this point, they the family was, you know, they, they had the liberalism, the, the feminism, the, you know, men were women and women were men they were all confused and they but they they obviously in the confusion they were worshiping this themselves right that's what all of this is with transgenderism it's the worship of the self they said take whatever we have our riches and harvests the treasure things from our dwellings even our daughters for your amusement but leave us enough that we may live under your shadow the sturdy men of the mountains were sickened by these half men who had lived for three generations without fighting and they despised them the battle-hardened men who had come down from the highlands took whatsoever they desired the plainsmen demurred but because their stomachs turned to water before the virility of their conquerors their uh, protestations were words of wind the victors clothed themselves in plundered finery and indulged themselves in the wines and delicacies of the food tables. They're helping themselves to whatever they want. 
They slept in beds of luxury and dissipation, every wants being attended to by the vanquished. They, they learned the ways of sensuality, which goes with soft living. And when state and sated with natural pleasures, some lightened their boredom with unnatural ones. The mountain men saw that the women of the cities were beautiful, but they were not modest, casting their charms before the masters unashamed. So it followed that they were taken when required and treated as uh, chattels. The women did not complain, though hitherto they had stood equal with their menfolk. But women's equality with half men is not something of value. Ouch. Um, so it, it's basically saying here in modern terms that these women were as feminist as you come. And the they were claiming an equality with men that the men were, you know, and it's saying like, yeah, okay, fine. They were, and the writers are agreeing, yeah, they were equal to men, but they were half men. They weren't whole men. So that's not something of, you know, not something to boast or brag about. These were very effeminate men, uh, you know, men who were being ruled over. With, men, with women like this, the men placed no restraint on their lust and went from excess to excess. The women, rejoicing in the strength and vigor of the men, said among themselves, Here are men indeed such as we have not known before. Then in the manner of women, they turned away from their own men and from the households of their husbands and fathers. So like I said, many already married women ran off with these, uh, these mountain men who I think are the watchers. For now, they despise them. They threw off all womanly restraint and grappled with the victors like ravening beasts. And the strong were vanquished by weakness. Always do women. Uh, okay, making sure that was showing. Always do women behave thus when their menfolk are defeated in battle. It is for this that men fight. Uh, I was actually talking to um, Pamela about not this passage, but this idea that when when men would go in and conquer a city in the old days the women would you know would put on their makeup and they would you know hang out the window and they would try to you know grab because they their men died in the battle and they need a protector and this is you know one of the commands in torah that you know if you're going to take a woman home you know you're you know you have to like you have to shave her and you know and, um, you know, make sure so many, I think it's like three months or something like that goes by and make sure they're in the covenant with Yahuwah and okay with it, all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> None came to do battle with the victors. For they who had fought for the, the gods had destroyed themselves. And in the fullness of time, the victors too were destroyed by the flesh pots, but by fornication and drunkenness, by ease and luxury. Their fighting strength and valor departed with the passing years. They grew fat and slothful. They who had come down in manly array to fight and win, who could not be challenged in battle by the lesser men of the plains, were eaten up in the mansions of pleasure and the drinking booths with music, wine, and fine linen. So it seems like even these rulers who came down and defeated a lesser people, a half-men, you know, people who, you know, weren't warriors, they in turn kind of became, they started becoming like the people they had conquered, I guess. Upon the mountain and in the mountain homes, there was weeping and sadness among the women. Fields were untilled and cattle strayed away. Sheep went unplucked. The best craftsmen were gone and few remained willing to learn their skill. The teachers of learning taught no more. 
The gnarled hand that had wielded the sword and terrorized the foe now plucked the strings of psaltery and lyre. The rough jerkins and corselets uh, were cast off, and now garments were of fine linen dyed purple and crimson. Men arrayed their softening bodies in gaudy attire and bathed in scented waters. <laughs> Men bathing in scented waters. Uh, they reject I like I like a nice scented bath once in a while. I'll admit to that. They rejected their own wi uh, women for those of the cities whose hands and feet were stained with bright colors and whose faces were marked with blue. And, um, you know, according to Enoch, the, uh, the, it was uh, Hasatan. Actually, Azazel introduced um, the makeup to them. But if you read other texts, he actually, before the watchers came down, Azazel was already there. He introduced uh, this kind of makeup to the women to have them actually seduce the uh, the watchers. One day from afar off came three men of artists, uh, their, their country having been stricken by a mountain burst. They were worshipers of the one Elohim whose light shines within men. And when they had lived in the two cities for a number of days, they were stirred up in heart because of the things they saw. It kind of reminds you of Sodom and Gomorrah a little bit, right? Now, th there were three men, but actually only two into the city, if you recall. The third uh, gave the notice of Abraham going to have a child and then um, went back to heaven. So they called up their Elohim to see these evil things. Their Elohim sent down. And this is, of course, the one Elohim. This would be Allah Hayam, right? Or you could say Yahuwah. We don't really know. Their Elohim sent down a curse upon the men of the cities, and there came a strange light and smoky mist, which caught the throats of men. All things became still and apprehensive. There were, there were strange clouds in the skies, and, and the nights were hung with heaviness. Many days passed before a north wind came, and the skies cleared. But then when women conceived, they bore devils. Hmm. Monstrosities came forth from their wombs whose faces were terrible and whose limbs were unproportioned. Now, this again, just reminding us that, you know, the women with the watchers, they, they bore giants, right? Now, this is saying that they, these women bore devils. And, you know, of course, the Nephilim were the, became devils, right? Became demons. They're unclean Rulkoth. They went on living, even though their bodies were destroyed. They're the undead. In those days, men knew the art of working clay and making linen and bright colors and also the use of eye paints. This is, of course, lining up with Enoch. They had knowledge of herbs and magic of enchantment and the wisdom of the book of heaven. That's interesting, right? The mysteries of heaven. They had knowledge of the wisdom of the book of heaven. The knowledge of signs and omens, the secrets of the seasons of the moon and the coming of the waters. The remnants of the sons of Nazira remained upon the mountains in which are against artists by the land about the encampment of Lamak. In artists, there were wise men filled with the in. Uh, I guess uh, that looks like another thing I need to kind of work on there uh, of wisdom, I guess, the inn of wisdom, who read the book of heaven with understanding and knew the signs. Wow. So there was actually this book, the book of heaven. You have to wonder if that like was written by Enoch or Adam or we don't really know. They saw that the deeds of men in all the lands about the mountains had brought them to this their hour. Then the day came when the lady of the night changed her garment for one of a different hue and her form swept more swiftly across the skies. Her tresses streamed out behind in gold and copper 
and she rode in a chariot of fire. The people in those days were a great multitude, and a loud cry ascended into heaven. Uh, that, that's just a weird passage, and I love it. <laughs> Maybe I'll find more references to the Lady of the Night and her chariots. Um, I don't know. I mean, is that uh, is that the moon? Are we talking about the moon there? Because uh, we know that, you know, I've seen passages talking about the moon and a chariot, Lady of the Night. I don't know. Then the wise men went to Sharapik, now called, we're getting to the flood here real quick. I'm going to try to pick this up. Then the wise men went to Sharapik, now called Serapish, and said to Susuda the king, Behold, the years are shortened and the hour of trial draws nigh. The shadow of doom approaches this land because of its wickedness. Yet because you have not mingled with the wicked, you are set apart and shall not perish. This so your seeds may be preserved. So here's the king who's going to, I think, going to finance the building of the ark, right? So he too has not, they say here, uh, to answer your questions, because I'm going to get asked this. They say, you have not mingled with the wicked. You are set apart, all right? Then the king sent for uh, Hanok, that would be Enoch, but this Enoch is not the Enoch we know. This is actually the Noah figure. So this Noah, Noah in this book is called Hanok or Enoch, son of Hogaratur, uh, and he came out of Ardis, for there he had heard a voice among the reeds saying, Abandon your abode and possessions, for the hour of doom is at hand. Neither gold nor treasure can buy a reprieve. Um, I'm wondering if this king is actually also uh, actually lined up with uh, Seth. And we know that uh, Enoch was made king, and then his son was also made king of the whole earth, according to Jasher. So I don't know. I don't know if there's actually a relation here to that. And this is why maybe he knew to call on uh, Noah. Then uh, Hanok came into the cities and said to the governors, Behold, I would go down to the sea and would therefore build a great ship that I may take my people upon it. With me will go those who trouble you. And they, isn't that interesting? The righteous people, those who trouble you, those are the righteous people. I'm going to take them with me. And they will take the things which cause you concern. Therefore, you will be left in peace to your own enjoyment. And it's like <laughs> they're going to die, but they'll be left to peace, you know, to what the things they enjoy. They will not be troubled by the prophet anymore. The governor said, go down to the sea and build your ship there, and it will be well for you go with our blessing. But Hanok answered, it has been told to me in a dream that the ship should be built against the mountains. And the sea will come up to me. When he had gone away, they declared him mad. The people mocked him, calling him commander of the sea. It's kind of funny. <laughs> I mean, it's not funny, but, you know, they were calling Noah commander of the sea. But they did not hinder him, seeing gain in his undertaking. undertaking. Therefore, a great ship was laid down under the leadership of Hanok, son of Hogaritur for Susuda, king of Serapesh, from whose treasury came payment for the building of the vessel. So right there, according to this book, Book of Gleanings, we see that uh, many people ask the question, how in the world did he get the material? How did he build it? And even answers in Genesis, if you go there, they're like, uh, well, Noah had to have had money. That They will tell you that. Like, he had to have had money. He had to have had people helping him build it. Even though those people didn't go on the ark, apparently, he had these people build him. Like, sorry, you can't come on the ark. Uh, but according to this, we see there was a king. He financed it, and the king was set apart. He did not; he was not a wicked man at all. He actually uh, had a; uh, he actually honored the, the Most High. 
It was built on the lake of Namos, close by the river of gold, where it divides. All the household of Hanak was there and the household of his brother who directed the men at the task. Why am I finding this fascinating? Because according to Second Enoch, Noah had a brother and his brother's son was uh, named uh, Melchizedek. He was the first Melchizedek. And this Melchizedek actually ascended to heaven. And so um, let's keep reading. Uh, Dwevan, captain of the ships from the land beyond Ardis, was overseer, overseer of the craftsmen. So that's interesting. So they actually brought in another uh, uh, ship captain to actually oversee, make sure it was built according to how it's supposed to be built. Um, the women and children carried and the men built. The length of the great ship was 300 cubits and its breadth was 50 cubits. We read this earlier tonight. Lines up. And it was finished off above by one cubit. It had three stories. We read that earlier which were built without a break. The lowermost was for the beast uh, and cattle and their provender, and it was laid over with sand from the river. The middle one was for birds and fowls, for plants of every kind that are good for man and beast, and the uppermost one was for the people. Each story was divided in twain so that there were six floors below and one above, and they were divided across with seven partitions. In it were cisterns for water and storehouses for food, and it was built with uh, ascara wood, which water cannot rot or worms enter. It was pitched within and without, for the cisterns were lined. The planks were edged and the joints made fast with hair and oil. Great stones were hung from ropes of plated leather, and the ship was without master oars. There were no poles and no openings except for a hatch beneath the eaves above, whereby all things entered. The hatch was secured by great beams. Into the great ship they carried the seed of all living things. Grain was laid up in baskets, and many cattle and sheep were slain for meat, which was smoked by fire. They also took all kinds of beasts of the field and wild beasts, birds and fowls, all things that crawl, also gold and silver, metals and stones. The people of the plains came up and camped about to see this wonder. This lines right up with Jasher. Even the sons of Nazira <clears throat> were among them. So if, you know, if these are the watchers, um, you know, were they, <clears throat> were they in the earth at this time? And I know that in, in Enoch, it, it gives the sentence that they will go into the earth but if you guys looked at my past research on this, I have really questioned if they, it's kind of like Yahuwah is saying, okay, you're going to be buried in the earth. We don't exactly know when that was. Because it gives the same thing to Azazel, but Azazel, if he is Hasatan, he's around the earth, he's not He's not thrown into the abyss yet. So if these sons of Nazira are any way related to the Watchers, they're still on the earth at this time. They have not received their sentence. Um, and uh, the book of Lemek of Kings is the same thing, that the watchers were still ruling over the cities at this time. And they daily mocked the builders of the great ship, but these were not dismayed and toiled harder at the task. They said to the mockers, have your hour for ours will surely come. On the appointed day, they who were to go with the great ship departed from their homes in the encampment. They kissed the stones, and I, I love this. This is like such a like a movie moment right here. Like if you were to make a movie about this, you would include this scene in here. They kissed the stones and embraced the trees, and they gathered up handfuls of the earth, 
For all this, they would see no more. They would never see this world again. This world is completely destroyed, as Kifa said. And like I said earlier tonight, that the I believe that there was a replanting of the earth, maybe from paradise, from storehouses. Um, I know they had seeds and that kind of stuff that grew, but um, this this old world was completely destroyed. They loaded the great ship with their possessions, and all their provender went with them. They set a ram's head over the hatch, pouring out blood, milk, honey, and beer. I like that they they're claiming they had beer, took beer onto the ark. Beating upon their breasts, weeping and lamenting, the people entered the great ship and closed the hatch, making it secure within. The king had entered, and with him those of his blood, in all 14. So that's okay. So we have in Noah's uh, reservation and his family, who have eight. And according to this, there are the king and his entourage, 14 in all. And I think that's the complete number of people. Um, for it was for according to this, for for it was forbidden that his household uh, go into the ship of all the people who entered with him. Two understood the ways of the sun and moon and the ways of the year and the seasons. One the acquiring uh, of stones, one the making of bricks, and one the making of axes and weapons, one the playing of musical instruments, one bread, one of making of pottery. Really, one of their life skills was bread. <laughs> they got they got led on the ark because like I you know I don't have like nunchuck skills or anything like that, but I got bread making skills. So <laughs> they nearly made it on there. They, the one skill they had was bread making skill. One the making of pottery, one the care of gardens, and one the carving of wood and stone. One, the making of roofs and the working of timbers. One, the making of cheese and butter. So for those of you who have like one life skill and it's maybe something like making bread, don't ever say that you could not make it onto the ark. There is still hope. One, the growing of trees and plants. One, the making of plows. One, the weaving of cloth and making of dyes. And one, the brewing of beer. Hey, there you go. They got a, a brewery on that ark. One, the felling and cutting of trees. So we got a lumberjack. One, the making of chariots. One, dancing. Oh, we got a we got a dancer on there, a little ballet, huh? One, the mysteries of the scribe. That's an interesting. One. I don't like that. So maybe I have a chance. One, the building of houses and the working of leather. There was one skilled in the working of cedar and willow wood, and he was a hunter. One who knew the cunning of games and circus, and he was a watchman. There was an inspector of water and walls, a magistrate and a captain of men. There were three servants of Elohim. There was uh, Hanok and his brother. So according to this, uh, Noah's brother does make it on. And we have literature that specifically mentions Noah's brother. And you're like, you know, in Second Enoch, it's like, well, that's interesting. Um, why would it mention his brother, right? It's the same thing. Like, why would they mention uh, 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 Naamah? So there was uh, Hanok and his brother and their households, and uh, Dwevan and six men who were strangers. You got to watch those strangers. Then with the dawning, men saw an awesome sight. There riding on a great black rolling cloud came the destroyer. What is this? This is like you know, Nibiru coming. Newly released from the confines of the sky vaults, right? So this is the destroyer that comes around every so often, and when the destroyer comes, watch out. It's about to get ugly. And she raged about the heavens, for it was her day of judgment. The beast with her opened its mouth and belched forth fire. So there is actually like a dragon arriving that comes in and is spewing fire. Hot stones and vile smoke. 
It covered the whole sky above and the meeting place of earth and heaven could no longer be seen. And it's interesting because there is a rabbinical Jew, uh, Jewish literature, like if you read the, um, uh, the, uh, what is it? The, the, uh, Legends of the Jews. There it is. It's getting late, guys. We, we publish Legends of the Jews at TUC, and they're beautiful editions put out by Rebecca. Great sources for um, uh, research. And they talk about how uh, to destroy the Nephilim, that the, the water that came down was boiling hot. And it actually said that it came through the fires of, uh, of uh, uh, Gehenna. Kind of interesting, because here we see the same thing. We see a dragon. Well, is this dragon... Sheol itself, in a way, you know, on a kind of esoteric level, are we dealing with like like a Leviathan kind of creature, but out of the sky, um, you know, that's belching forward this fire that's going into the water, it's burning everything up. It covered the whole sky above, and the meeting place of earth and heaven could no longer be seen. This is the same thing that happened before uh, when I talked about the uh, the how north northern Africa looks like a giant dragon, and uh, the same. Book of Coburn talks about at the last destruction event that that dragon, which was the size of it would cover the whole sky, it actually was slain uh, and it basically became a continent. It actually says that. And so that's probably Northern Africa. There were three servants. Okay. Um, okay. So where was I? Um, it covered the whole sky above and the meeting place of earth and heaven could no longer be seen. In the evening, the places of the stars were changed. They rolled across the sky to new stations. Then the floodwaters came. Well, that's really interesting there. The stars actually changed their position. And then the floodwaters came. I wonder if the stars had to move their position to uh, make way for the firmament to open up. Actually, that makes a lot of sense. That would be a sight to see. And this is what I talk about, too, all the time, that, like, people look out and, like, no, the stars are still there. And, you know, according to Revelation, it's like, well, I actually think all through history the stars can come and go. Like, you know, at the command of the Most High. The floodgates of heaven were open and the foundations of earth were broken apart. The surrounding waters poured over the land and broke open the, upon the mountains. The storehouses of the winds burst their bolts asunder. So storms and whirlwinds were loose to hurl themselves upon the earth. Wow, we've got tornadoes, we've got hurricanes, we've got everything going on. And the seething waters and howling gales, all buildings were destroyed. Trees were uprooted and mountains cast down. So that answers the question. <laughs> when I talked earlier tonight about, you know, people are actually saying, oh, the water came down to the tree line. No, 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 no. All the trees, like you guys, if you've ever seen a flood, you've all seen footage of floods. Houses are destroyed. Cars are wrecked. Bridges, like it, it destroys everything in its path. There was a time of great heat. Then came a time of bitter cold. The waves over the waters did not rise and fall, but seethed and swirled. There was an awful sound above. The pillars of heaven were broken and filled down to earth. The sky vault was rent and broken. That would be the firmament. So, you know, when people tell me, but no, the firmament, it's like, well, maybe it's broken in the past and been repaired. Because right here, it just says that the firmament, the sky vault, that's what the firmament is, guys, the sky vault. It was rent and broken, right? So the whole of creation was in chaos. The whole of creation. The stars in the heavens were loosened from their places. Uh-oh, we just saw the stars fall out of the sky. This is Noah's flood. How are the stars going to come back, guys? Because I thought there were stars in Yahusha's day. So they dashed about in confusion. There was a revolt on high. A new ruler appeared there and swept across the sky in majesty. Well, that's an interesting line. 
Those who had not labored at the building of the great ship and those who had mocked the builders came quickly to the place where it was lying. They climbed upon the ship and beat upon it with their hands. They raged and pleaded, but could not enter inside, nor could they break the wood. As the great ship was borne up by the waters, it rolled and they were swept off, for there was no foothold for them. The ship was lifted by the mighty surge of waters and hurled among the debris, but it was not dashed upon the mountainside because of the place where it was built. All the people, so that that's kind of an interesting thought. We never really think about that, but it, it's actually saying that they strategically built it knowing that these waves were going to come, this, this tidal uh, surge, and and that it they built it strategically where it wasn't going to get bashed against the mountains. All the people not saved within the ship were swallowed up in the midst of, ra of raging confusion, and their wickedness and corruption was purged away from the face of the earth. Uh, okay, we're almost done. Thank you guys for your patience. I hope you guys are enjoying this. The swelling water swept up to the mountaintops and filled the valleys. They did not rise like water poured into a bowl, but came in great surging torrents. But when the tumult quietened and the waters became still, they stood no more than three cubits above the earth. The destroyer passed away into the fastness of heaven, and the great flood remained seven days, diminishing day by day as the waters drained away to their places. Then the waters spread out calmly, and the great shift drifted amid a brown scum and debris of all kinds. And so there's that, you know, what I was telling you, that like when he sent out the dove, the, the raven did just fine amongst the debris, but the, the dove is very particular and it couldn't, it needed to have dry soil to make its nest in the trees. It could get to the olive branch, but it couldn't really get to the ground. After many days, a great ship came to rest upon Cardo and the mountains of Ashtar against Nishim in the land of Elohim. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed that. I wanted to read that tonight. Um, because of the Torah portions, of course. And I actually would love to do a study where I take all the different accounts of the flood from like Jasher, Jubilees, you know, Legends of the Jews, this one, Masoretic, so on, line them all up and uh, show them to you guys. That's all I have. It looks like I've gone just over the two-hour mark, and uh, I enjoyed this. Um, hopefully you guys will come back and do this again. Um, you know, leave a comment below, say, you know, say hello, shalom, whatever you'd like, and uh, be sure to come over to uh, Discord. If you're not a part of the community, say hi to us, and uh, we'll do this again next Sabbath. So Shabbat Shalom one last time. Good night, everybody.